welcome to the Brain Tools Podcast, where you're going to learn how your brain works and how you can use it to level up your life. It's practical brain science for everyday people. I'm your co-host, Sam, a self-professed neuroscience nerd on a mission to share brain science with the world in words everyone can understand. And I'm Kieran, and I specialize in neuroscience at university and now run a metacognition education startup in Asia. Each episode, you walk away with six practical brain tools that you can use immediately. No fluff, just the good stuff with a side of banter. Plus, grab our show notes, the research, and tons of other free resources, including guides and classes, just by joining our growing Brain Tools community at braintools.mn.co. Best of all, it's totally free. But for now, the Brain Tools Podcast. And welcome back to the Brain Tools Podcast, practical brain science for everyday people. Today, we have the first of two-part series on what I think is one of the most interesting things to talk about. We're going to be talking about beliefs, talking about beliefs uh, for our first episode uh, in yourself and how that relate to you and your brain. going to cover how beliefs change your brain, they create bias, that you don't know you have, they impact your stress and your body. Plus, we're going to talk about how you change those beliefs. And no, it's not some modern woo-woo BS self-help gurus visualizing your goals and attracting wealth like we're the secret. We're actually going to talk about what happens in the brain. The second part of this series, we'll be talking about beliefs and others and confronting beliefs. But before we do get stuck into beliefs, Kieran, how are you today, my friend? I'm delightful. Sun is shining. It's been monsoon season in Singapore, so it's just been raining lots. But now it's yeah. come. Now it's come good. Yeah. And also, I do want to comment. I just really like that opening about how you said this is not BS self help guru. But that's what every single self help guru actually says. Yeah. So we just want to make a note. <laughs> we promise this is not <laughs> of that ilk. I am. I am not your guru. Honest. I'm not your guru. I'm not your guru. This is not Tony Robbins. This is not Toby Robbins. I am not awakening a giant within you. I'm just going to tell you what's going on in the brain, okay? Simple. Uh, so, so good. But how are you as well? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Contrary to your position in Singapore, it is actually raining here. So it is bucketing down outside. There is a deluge in Melbourne. Welcome to the summer of 2021. That is one of your – that's one of the best words I've heard. Del, deluge. Yeah, it's a strong one. It's a strong one. Speaking of a deluge, uh, let's let's talk about a bit of context for beliefs and why we're actually talking about Walk that, to right? me. Yeah, because there has been a, a deluge in, in beliefs, in polarizing beliefs and specifically partisan politics. You think about what's going on in the world right now with uh, America, what just happened with the elections, with Trump, with the storming of the Capitol – but then also over towards the pandemic and the conspiracy theorists around the pandemic. I have like, I have a single follower on Instagram, uh, someone <laughs> I met when I was in Ibiza, and she's this British. I hope she doesn't listen to this. She's this British, <laughs> British girl, and she is totally of the opinion that the pandemic is planned and it's all a cover-up. And I see all her Instagram posts and stories about – the government trying to get us to wear masks and it's it's all a mechanism of control. So there is a, a lot going on right now globally in terms of beliefs and, and belief sets. It's it's such a good point because everyone, when we look back at 2020, and again, this is last time, last time I swear we're going to mention this, hopefully, but uh, it almost is like the world's going mad. Like the fact that people stormed the capital, like I, I don't really read the news, so I didn't know. I literally found out when I was on a Zoom call with a colleague. Like, I literally had no idea. And I was like, people were like literally up watching this. So completely uh, infatuated with it. But I think 
as yeah. is becoming known about the whole idea of beliefs. And normally and traditionally for the past 20, 30 years has been pretty untouched until sort of social neuroscience mm-hmm. came along. But it, it's Agreed. amazing to see that people are driven to do what are extraordinary, thing, extraordinary things in the name of something, whether that's religion uh, in the past or present, political, even racial stereotypes getting to that whole notion here and the extreme cases of, of cults and, you know, what mm. results in ma- mass genocide. And I, down. Mm. I, I think the, the quote in, I think, 1984, George Orwell, great read, but he said that here, and it's so telling, which is he said, sooner or later a false belief bumps up against solid reality, usually on the battlefield. And the, the ability to differentiate between what is true, what is not, what is real and what is not becomes super difficult because beliefs, again, are all built upon your perception of things uh, as an individual. And a group. They, they, they are. And they are totally thrown out of whack. And I think there's also some context people haven't considered. And we talked about this a little bit uh, recently in some of the work I've done, that a lot of people's beliefs have been shifted by COVID. Mm. So we, we got we to gotta take into account that your belief set, and we'll talk about what beliefs are later, but your belief set is a reflection of your environment and your internal processing. And when we're surrounded by so many stresses, a lot of people have adopted this almost uh, implicit increased negativity bias. If you're constantly reading bad news every day in the media, as many of us have been bombarded by, you've got Channel 9, ABC, or whatever your news source is telling you about the pandemic and horrible events every day, it's hard not to change your belief set because you've got this state of survival kicking on in your brain, um, this heightened sense of survival in your brain, which is definitely shifting the way you see the world and some of your belief set. And so that can actually have a massive flow-on effect. So effectively... COVID may have changed your beliefs about yourself or about the world, and that can definitely uh, have that flow and effect downstream to your body and brain, which we'll talk about uh, in the next section. Makes a lot of sense. Self-directed neuroplasticity is the, the, the term yeah. we like to use a lot. And I think, as you said, the whole notion of beliefs leading to sort of behaviours that then reinforce across time, and so it becomes really interesting to note that idea of false beliefs, right? You know, what uh, neuroscientists have quote-unquote studied as delusions, right, and finding out about the brain through that. But it it is a really interesting point you raise, which is because if you have beliefs that are actually false, that are not aligned with reality, um, basically you end up quote-unquote living a false life. And it's so interesting around the whole theory of, you know, self-deception that we speak about sometimes. The easiest way to actually deceive others is actually deceive yourself first. Because you end up becoming and living that lie, um, which is yeah. something that we're obviously going to speak about today, which, again, very interesting. It is very interesting. Well, I mean, you could make that case for so many cult leaders. It's, it's self-deception first that leads to deception of their followers. Yeah, absolutely. And on a personal level, though, out of interest, have you, like take belief as, I know we're talking about the topical nature of it all, but on a personal basis, mm-hmm. mate, uh, belief, what's going on there? Yeah, well, I mean, I've got my own story with changing beliefs, which I don't think I've ever ever told you personally, but I, I did go through a period of depression maybe earlier in university and I adopted this really nihilistic belief set. It was quite existential. What's the point of the world? We all die one day. And it, it definitely uh, warped the way I saw the world, right? Like I was just going around thinking, this is pointless. This this is pointless. This is pointless. You know? there's, there's no meaning. There's no point. And, and, and it sapped the joy out of everything. Um, but I was able to change my beliefs to go through and kind of rewire my brain. And as a result, it totally changed, you know, my mindset, but also lifted me out of that depressive state. So I know on a personal level, you change your beliefs, you can, you can change your, your body, your brain, your mood and your life pretty quickly. Yeah. 
That's massive, right? And, and as you said, the, the ability to pull oneself out of it obviously requires help from other people. And so that's obviously why it's so important we look at, obviously, in the next episode as part of this series, beliefs between other people. But I think, as you said, rightly so, and appreciate you telling me that, is it's all about self-belief today. And so what we're going to dive into, as we've spoken about, is how you actually can look to rewire your brain. And the aim is to become truthfully true, which is you are authentic with yourself, but you obviously are navigating within reality. But I think the first step we probably got to start with, Sam, my man, is the mm. like, classic definition, like, which is what is belief? Because we've chucked this around a fair, yeah. fair bit. So um, I start here, again, I'm going to give you sort of <laughs> an academic definition to start with, but oh, just we uh, boil it down a little bit, which is beliefs are essentially mental states or attitudes, which are believing a proposition as true or probably true. And essentially what I just want to say, they're just assumptions we make about the world, right? And they're mm. learned assumptions that we make about the world. And they're actually very deeply embedded and they provide us with these guiding principles that provide us direction and meaning. But I think people normally, when we talk about belief, they always think about like one belief, which is this more conceptual, like belief is akin to religion. We don't realize that we have some really basic beliefs about just the world and our perception of it, which is a first yeah. point. Yeah. So, well, I mean, like almost everything we do is guided by our beliefs about the world. About our beliefs and values, right? You have to, and you've got to agree on it. And I think that's where, when we funnel, there's actually three types of beliefs that we actually want to look at, um, which I want to go through. And the first one for everyone here is empirical beliefs. They are objects. They begin, if you are saying a sentence about your belief, you would say, I to believe that, which is an example, that the earth is round or that this table is black. It's all propositional. And I think that's the key thing to note that on a base level, beliefs as a rudimentary thing, you kind of got to believe certain things about the the world, right? And that's when people uh, normally don't believe those different things, maybe due to issues and lesions in their brain in terms of impacting their sensory perception that they obviously go off the beaten track. That's the first one, empirical. Nice. Second, relational. These are events. And this is where the question stem is to believe someone. Um, For example, to believe someone entered the White House. These are events that happened in a function of space and time. And the last one is conceptual, which is normally what people want to talk about. It's where great debate ensues when you talk about bipartisan politics, but these are conceptual, these are narratives, and that's to believe in something, which is to believe in God, to believe in the Democratic Party, which I don't even know what that means, but to believe in X, Y, and Z. And so I think it's important Mm. that we filter that the first two in reality are really about what is true, but then conceptual is where the reality is what you are impacted by, what you absorb, your information diet definitely feeds the narratives both in a positive and negative manner. But that's from a psychological lens. I think the important part though is like, hey, this is what those beliefs are, but in the brain, yeah. the important one to really dissect because again, neuroscience, eh? Because I mean, that's what we're all about. Brain tools, brain tools. There's psychology tools, but it's also brain tools. Yeah, it's interesting to have those three, the three distinction between empirical relation and conceptual. But I think a lot of people don't really understand how beliefs form in their brain or why they have negative beliefs or self-limiting beliefs or whatever they are, right? So just really quickly to help you understand that, belief formation in the brain is is purely repetition and repetition creates myelination. So what a belief looks like in a brain is a thought you have over and over again. And as you're having this thought over and over again, your brain effectively says, hey, this thought, this connection between neurons is really important. This is going to be a high priority pathway. This is something that we keep doing. So we're going to have to get more efficient at doing that. As a result, your brain insulates that pathway. It forms this really, really high speed connection, like upgrading that connection from dial up to broadband. And it's it's wrapping myelin around the neuronal sheath and it's making this really, really efficient pathway. 
And that's how you form a belief. Analogy key. (laughs) So the more you repeat a belief, the stronger it becomes. Um, And as a brain considers this important pathway and it becomes faster and more efficient, uh, more conductant uh, as it's insulated. Inversely, when you stop activating a belief, uh, a thought pathway, a neural connection in your brain, it does begin to atrophy and run away with disuse. And there's another analogy I really like that I'm, I'm going to hit you with really quickly. And that's, uh, imagine it's kind of like when you're forming a belief, cutting a path through a forest to a hut. And that hut mm. is your new belief. The more times you use that path, the more you wear through it, the more you wear the path in. But if you stop using it, the forest grows back over and eventually the path will be swallowed. So when we're thinking about beliefs, we've really got to be wearing that path in for the new beliefs we want to adopt. While conversely, try to avoid and ignore the other pathways so that they eventually are swallowed by the jungle. It's that's oh, Sammy, that is that is one of your best. All right, I really really like that because what I'm thinking about is like when we talk about beliefs, they're basically just learning, right? They're they're, they're absolutely forms of learning. And so when you talk about the idea of creating these paths, it's almost as if a belief starts as a very small path, and then you start to build a civilization and a network around that one belief. When you get a lot of infrastructure, and so as we speak about later, the switching cost or the ability to actually switch beliefs becomes so hard because if you've created this mm. civilization, this metropolis around this one belief, that's very different to a little path that you're crossing to get to a, a tree. Totally. And so much less efficient. Your brain wants to take that easy pathway. There's a whole road rather than cutting through a jungle to that new belief. Get Elon, mate, you know, underground in California doing the underground track, the underground <laughs> <That's pathway. a laughs> <hyper-loop>. <laughs> This is when you're going up, real high tech. That's a, a hyperloop pathway. Yeah, that's a hyperloop belief. <laughs> totally. And the whole the, the idea though, right, is like you end up becoming what you believe, right? Yeah, it, well, exactly right. And so that's kind of the next uh, part of it is that your beliefs cause bias. Mm. So our, our brain, just quickly, your brain filters your world through the lens of your beliefs. And what I mean by that is there's this part of your brain called the reticulator activating system. And it's your attention filter. It's this gatekeeper that decides what you pay attention to. Because here's the thing. There is 11 million bits of data being sent by your body to your uh, brain. I said, uh, it's crazy. This is 11 million bits. <laughs> it is. But our conscious brain, uh, our, our prefrontal cortex and related cortices, can only process about 40 to 50 mm. bits a second. Mm. So what happens with those 11 million bits? Well, you have this filter, your RAS, your reticular activating system. And what it does is it has this coffee filter based on everything you've learned in the past, which then seeps through only the stuff that it needs. But it causes a bit of bias, right? Mm. Because as your beliefs become the filter for your RAS, what you already think you know about the world is the way you scan for information and seek out anything that confirms this. It's this law of attention. And I know this actually comes up in psychology too. Absolutely. And I think the interesting part about it, you say, like you are what you pay attention to and the interaction between mm. the conscious and the subconscious. And there is this study, Sam, that I think is probably one of the most cited studies in all of psychology. So again, I know you've already heard this, but it's fine. I'm going to tell you it again anyway. Um, Pygmalion theory, does that ring a bell? Yeah, it does. It's a big one in the educational sphere, right? Oh, massively. And it basically came from Robert Rosenthal and Lemuel Jacobson. And what they were looking to yep. do is examine the influence of teacher expectation, teacher time on students' performance. And I, I love this design, right? And again, don't get me wrong, there are some flaws to it. So I'm going to hedge that by saying it. But what I will say is teachers initially, right, if you can imagine this, you're in a classroom right? There's 30 yep. students there. A third, a fifth of the students, teachers were told these are gifted students. They are unusually intelligent. 
and the teachers right. are, are blinking, being like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And obviously the other four-fifths of the students weren't actually designated some sort of label. And what was really interesting is they did a before and after IQ test. And it was clear that most of the students improved, but the ones that improved out of sight were the ones that were labelled as these unusually intelligent individuals. And now it becomes really easy for us to all say, oh, they did that because they were intelligent, they were unusually intelligent. But in reality, it was all about attention. Like if a teacher's told that, the bias that comes through, and this is not having a crack at teachers, but it's happened to you, me, everyone in education, when you have a teacher's pet or you have someone that gets a lot of the attention, more attention on someone means they're going to get more help. More help means they're going to get better, especially when they're so neuroplastic and they're learning so much. And so, again, that whole notion of improvement could be traced down to teacher time and teacher influence as opposed to the actual students themselves, which I find, I blew my mind. Wow. So it's the expectations of the teacher impacted the outcomes of the students because of their their actions almost. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where you can sort of form a really clear understanding of what Pygmalion theory looks like, which is you spoke about it earlier. You have a belief, right? I have a belief. For example, one is like, I'm not good at swimming. So therefore, if you have that belief, then the action and behavior that you have as a result will be affected, which is you're probably not going to swim. And I know that that really influences a lot of what we do. But what I will say is there's a result. Because if you don't swim, you're not going to, the next Mm. time you have to swim, you're not going to do well. And then the emotion that you feel, which is something we're going to mention now, it's going to reinforce that existing belief and you create this self-fulfilling prophecy, which is a self-fulfilling prophecy is essentially a delusion, right? And I think that's an interesting framework to take and ask people, what are some self-fulfilling prophecies you've created in your head that aren't actually true? Yeah, that's so crazy when you think about it. It's also crazy to put into context. I actually ran into some research uh, the other day in a a book, a cited piece of research that suggested we also feel a, a hit of dopamine when our beliefs are confirmed. They they cross correlated, so it feels good to confirm that belief. Just adding fire to that looping effect. Absolutely, it's a snowball, right? And like people yeah. feel good, like feel good as we've spoken about, especially when they're right. Things don't become a question of what is true or what is not true. People become becomes a question of who is right and who is wrong. And you want to be more right than another person, which is interesting. It is. I mean, what we're talking about is confirmation bias. Spot on. Right. Talk to me. Which is. Which is, it's like if you, whatever set you have, whatever belief set you have in your brain, your reticulated activating system that we just talked about before is actively looking for information that confirms this belief while ignoring, selectively ignoring, filtering out evidence that doesn't. So there was a, I mean, there's been a million studies on this, but the one I really, really like is a Stanford experiment where they got uh, 160 students who were either in favor of capital punishment or against it. So they either wanted people to be hanged or didn't. And I gave them two studies and one correlated with data suggesting the efficacy of hanging people or capital punishment. And one study uh, had data that was from the contrarian side, right? And when these students were reading it, depending on their bent, whether or not they supported capital punishment or not, to, would impact how valid they thought the data was. Now, the data was all made up, but the people who, who believed in capital punishment tended to believe that the data from the, the paper that said capital punishment had beneficial impacts on society was true and the other data was false. And the same was inversely, inversely um, true as well. But the really interesting thing was after reading both papers, mm-hmm. their initial standpoint was stronger, regardless that they'd seen these two counteracting pieces of data. So what that really says is it doesn't matter what you present someone they're going to latch onto that piece of information that confirms what they already believe, this confirmation bias, or discrediting the other, and they're going to feel better and stronger in their beliefs afterwards. 
It's so interesting because like that, this just shows, this just reinforces what is very known well in the literature that humans are just suck at statistics. Like we mm. suck. Like we're just so bad, right? Like if there's a thousand pieces oh, of information yeah. there, you're basically saying if I have, have a certain belief, I'm going to look for the 200 that confirm that belief and ignore the 800, even though that's probably more of a, a more balanced argument. So think about how many arguments you have with friends and what's the first thing they do? They go and Google stats to support their case. And there's always that information available. Then the same thing you do, you Google stats to counter that. So I think it, I think it plays out. This <laughs> is reminding me of like basketball chat. You know when you get into the greatest of all time arguments, it's like I believe oh, yeah, yeah. Jordan or LeBron are the best because this is what normally happens. Um, and, and, you know, you can talk about tennis, Serena Williams, et cetera, right? But what I will say is it's that. And then it's like, here are all my stats that support. And then just yeah. ignoring yeah. everything. And it's the most hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's, so circular. Yeah. it's so great. It's like, oh, but LeBron's got longer longevity and been doing it for a longer prime. Oh, yeah, but Jordan won more MVPs. And and then you, you cherry pick. You cherry pick information that fits your view. Absolutely. And that, talking about athletes, it believe surely impact your body as well. Well, they do. And we'll keep this really short because we're about to wrap up this section. But there is a whole host of research out there. And we'll link some of it in the show notes showing that your beliefs directly impact your body by regulating your stress response. So your beliefs about the world, whether or not they are uh, a belief that's positive or negative in terms of how you interpret stressful situations, have down flow, downstream flow and effects to your body through the impact of cortisol uh, on all your organs and your brain, um, which is really, really crazy. But I think I think it's time to we've talked enough about beliefs. Let's let's talk about some brain tools. Jump into that next section. Terrible segue and we're out. All right, and now for the last section, the best section, the main section, the brain tool section. And before before we get into it really quickly, just going to preframe this that you can't change a belief until you first believe you can change. And this is a lot of research coming out of uh, neuroscientist Dr. Stephanie Fay found that the most successful ways to teach uh, kids a growth mindset was to teach them about neuroplasticity. So the first thing I just wanted to say is your brain can change and you need to believe that before you adopt new beliefs. I really like that. And I think that's a good frame because, again, growth mindset's been thrown a lot around a lot these days, especially in education. Mm-hmm. But just to clarify yeah. for people, growth mindset being like you believe that your actions, your strategies are going to actually impact your end outcome. But fixed mindset people are actually believing, hey, no matter what I do, it won't change. It's tied to my genetic endowment. And I think that frame, as you've put forward, comes really interesting if when we talk about what is truthful and what is true. Now, you know me, I can get a little bit mathematic here and I'm going to I'm gonna I'm gonna create a matrix. Matrix loves an intake. Loves to intake. Intexta. Oh, <laughs> intellectualize. That's the word. Did you say intexta? Intexta. Loves to intextualize. I like I like a good favor castle, right? It's a good texter. Yeah, but yeah. what I will say as context for the brain tools we're about to give you is, as we say, there's always a bit of a problem between differentiating between what is true, what is reality. And what is truthful? I, a person actually not having the intent to misinform, but actually believing what they have. And if I sound can mm. just a quick matrice where you've got, if you can imagine for me, yeah. right? You've got your y-axis, so it's going straight up is truth, like truth, like who's being truthful, and then true on the bottom axis. You end up having four different quadrants, right? And the aim here is you don't want to be not true and not truthful. Then you're on another planet. You might as well not be on planet Earth. You might be on Saturn, Jupiter, whatever it might be. You can be truthful, but not true. And that means you need to examine reality, right? You need to actually get close to it, get people to inform what you might be actually misinformed about. You can be true, but not truthful. You might be living a lie because you don't want to experience something. And the aim becomes to be truthfully true. 
And so I think as a first stepping stone, if we want to be truthfully true, is we need to understand our current set of beliefs. And that comes to my first brain tool, if I can give it to you. Yeah, please give me the truth. Brain tool number one, you've got to add to your belief inventory. And the reason I say this is like a massive issue for many people, including myself and you. If you are asked the question, what do you believe in? Normally, there's just a pause. And people are just sitting there like, I've got no idea. Like I could rattle some things off, but there's no meaningful thought to that question. But that's such a fundamental thing as we've spoken about it. And if you don't know what you currently believe in, then how can you even look to change something that might be false or true? Does that make sense so far? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Well, you got to know your starting point, what you have. Exactly right. And what's your lens that you're viewing the world in? So as I spoke about with a belief inventory, the way you want to do is create one. And the way that you would go about this is to list the beliefs that you currently hold within certain topics if you'd like to do. And that way you have a central place of truth for your belief set. It could be about any, like anything, right? Remember how we talked about the different types of empirical versus conceptual versus the event-based stuff. How I would implement Mm -hmm. that Take the topics you want to speak about. It could be about neuroscience. What do I believe is true in this? It could be about your relationships. What I believe in this. Get a journal or a Google Doc and list those specific beliefs that you have. And when you list that belief down, just take a note of how you feel when you look at it. Are you emotionally charged in a negative way or are you emotionally charged in a positive way like it makes you happy? So, for example, if I write down I believe in God as an example, which I know can be a very charged thing, but how do you feel? Not just judging it for whether it's true or untrue, just putting it down and saying, hey, how do I actually feel? And it becomes a lot easier to form your values when you know what you currently believe. You don't know what you don't know. And that's my key thing here, to create that belief inventory before you even try and change something. Take stock, take stock. So you're suggesting you get out a Google Doc or a piece of paper, whatever it is, and really just write down all these beliefs and do, do an audit, a belief audit. Hundred percent. So, if I was to ask you, just live, Sam, take a neuroscience we've spoken about right now. What's something that you believe in, in terms of neuroscience, just in terms of what you think is true? Like one of the big, one of the biggest ones is that brains can change almost infinitely. Yeah. That, that's that's a big one. I hold that to be true, and I think it actually has massive ramifications for how you live and how you value yourself. But when you said that statement, can I ask how do you feel? Was it more positively geared, negatively geared, or neutral? One hundred percent positively geared. Neutral? No. <laughs> neutral. I look I'm like neutral. a tar to you. Oh, never. But that's the whole point of doing it. Now, again, if you don't want to go through the whole rigmarole, you can just do it Do it in a conversation. But as I said, brain tool number one, create a belief inventory. So take stock, do an audit. I might even do that just after this show and write down what you hold as beliefs. It's, it's such a good starting point. Um, I think because a lot of people don't actually know what they believe in or they, they do, but it's really loose. So it's like, oh, I believe that. Um, the, the real question though is how do you then implement new beliefs or adopt mm-hmm. beliefs? Mm-hmm. Like you take, a, you take stock of them. How do you actually change a belief or how do you implement one of these new beliefs? And that comes to my brain tool number two, which is create a wake up slash bedtime belief ritual. So the problem is to change a belief, you've got to repeat it over and over again. Like we talked about, frequent repetition is what wires it in. It's what creates that myelination and, and builds that pathway through the jungle to this new belief. But how do, you, how do you find time for it and how do you remember? And how do you do it frequently? Well, the solution is you need to practice your new belief for five minutes when you wake up and five minutes before you go to sleep. But you don't need to do this, but this is a great way to do it because these are kind of the two periods of in your day uh, when you've got a bit of time and when you're able to, in the morning, set your belief for the day 
so that you've already set your brain up to look for it as you go out the day and the evening repeat that so that when you go to sleep you're consolidating that memory you're learning it you're really wiring it in just before bed so there's actually a, a model created uh, from some some colleagues at Princeton and Brown University which show that forming and they used habits but also applies to belief forming good and bad habits totally depends on how often you perform an action rather than the satisfaction you get for it. And they built out this ma- mathematical model of Yay, repetition. Math. <laughs> Yay, math. Of repetition leading to ha- habit change and behavior change and, and equally applies to belief. So from an implementation perspective, say you you do a belief audit, you um, you write down your belief inventory and you go, I, I actually want to adopt this new belief about myself and how competent I am. What you'd want to do then is in the morning, just after you wake up and the evening, just before you go to bed, and you can do this in the bed, wake up and spend five minutes just thinking about the belief. Reflect on the times it was true. Look for when that actually happened in your life and confirm that belief. Find that evidence to tie it to and just sit there and think about it over and over again. The more times you kind of repeat it and you look for that evidence, the more you're wiring that new thought and that new neural pathway into your brain until it becomes a high priority pathway until it becomes this super highway charging through the jungle from one belief, uh, from one neuron to another. And just do the same before you go to sleep as well. So it's, it's 10 minutes each day. If you did this for you know two weeks, a month, you'd be wiring that belief in to the point where it starts to become second nature and something you just think about. Uh, I love so, it. Yeah. So good. Because I think two things are coming to my mind right now, what we talk about. Episode four, we went through habits and habit formation. And it almost is like with this type of thing, it's all about coupling it to an initial habit, right? If you want to change a belief, totally. you're waking up in the morning, that's tied to it. I think that's the first part that's coming through. But I, I think the the second one to talk about what you're saying is like there's been people that are known to like schedule into this, their calendar empty space to just think, right? And this becomes mm-hmm. a really interesting your, what's coming to mind is when you said, and I loved it, which is like you are what you pay attention to. You need to schedule this time in for yourself. Say, hey, I actually want to actively rewire my beliefs of what I've got, whether they're self-limiting, whatever they might be. And they've got to be in the calendar. It's like, here's this five minutes, here's this 10 minutes. You might not do it all the time. But again, that habit formation is essentially the action steps that lead to the belief formation as well. Totally. It's deliberate repetition. Like if, if you could say one thing about learning, and the human brain, it is deliberate repetition frequently over time. That's how we learn. I love it. That is such a good brain tool. Brain tool number two. Number two. I love it. Well, we're going to move into the last two on beliefs. And I think to build upon what you're talking about, which is this sort of habit coupling to actually rewire brain, I think it's also mm-hmm. important because you do that on an individual basis. Um, but what's also really important to try and make sure you do is always understand that there are other people in the world. And Sam, golf. You know I talk about this a lot, right? Oh, Which is God, you're such a golfer. You really are. <laughs> tonight, I'm so excited. It's my first night golf I've ever done. I'm actually so so pumped. But I'm going off track. I'm going to get golf golf gloves. A brain tool golf club. Please do, and get the logo as well. And I think um, with with golf though, when you play right, I'm not great, so I lose a lot of different balls. But when you're looking for the ball and you're by yourself, you can never find it. But when you play with other people, they will say, oh, Kieran, your ball's over there. And I'm like, how on earth did you see that? It's like when you go to the pantry and you're looking for your favorite food, but then you ask mum, hey, mum, dad, where is it? And they're like, oh, it's there, as an example. I have a mum. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's why I want to bring up brain tool number three, because we don't like to be wrong. And like when you think about the last time you you found out you were wrong, you hated it. It hurt. You felt embarrassed. And we view it much more as a threat than as an opportunity. 
And so I think mm. the brain tool number three, which is red team your own beliefs, that's red team your own beliefs, becomes really, really key in terms of solving this issue. So, so red red teaming. What's what do we got going on here? So red teaming again. All the, the whole notion of red teaming is say you've got an idea, say you've got a solution you've created. You want to get one or two people to actually review what you've done once you've completed it. And so that is that is the solution to this, which is like, hey, who are two people that have different perspectives to you, right? Which is why we always talk about belief sets when you compare people who are well traveled to people who are not well traveled. They've been exposed to so much different stimuli as well. So the solution mm. here that I've got, say in your belief inventory that you've said, hey, here are the things that I believe in. And again, you started to actually dedicate, here's my time to actually change that. The next thing to do is to say, hey, let's get a person who actually thinks this about the issue, right? Say you know someone's completely polar to you. You want to really understand, hey, where are they coming from? Where have they formed their belief from? And that's why you implement this, and I know we do this quite often together, is you just want to ask yourself questions, which is like, how could I be wrong? How could I be wrong? What would I need to be? What would need to be true if I were wrong? What is my bias? Where did I get my information from? That internal locus. Then you say to the other person, "Hey, where'd you get information from? What do you think your biases are?" You've obviously got to have this conversation with someone that is respectful and you actually appreciate. But I think that then means you have a higher degree of self awareness, which I think is really interesting. That's uh, the power of disconfirming evidence, right? Because that's how you. That's a Shane Shane Paris quote. Shout out Farnham Street. Come on the blog sometime. But there's so much power in that. Yeah, absolutely. When you say disconfirming evidence, do you want to just uh, elaborate a little bit for me, man? Yeah, fair enough. That is actually quite a vague point. But it's effectively disconfirming evidence is, you know, anything out there, whether that be data or an experience, that goes against your current beliefs. As This is exactly what you're talking about. It's finding those points of information that make you question whether or not that belief is true in every situation. It's why traveling is so amazing because some of your worldview is totally uh, being penetrated by all these different experiences of people acting in ways that you're not expected. Oh, it's, it, that is, it's such a good, good point, the idea of disconfirming evidence, right? Because it's like, instead of asking the question, how do I know I'm right? It's like, how do I know I'm wrong? Yeah. Right. Or how could yeah. I be wrong? Like, well, that's idea, like you're inverting yep. it. I think that then allows you to be a bit more of a skeptic because what we're talking about, right, with disconfirming evidence is a scientific method. It's like, what's your hypothesis? How do I disprove the hypothesis um, before mm-hmm. you then it. And so that's why I talk about brain tool number three, which is red team your own beliefs, get someone that you respect and actually have these meaningful conversations around certain topics to understand where they're coming from. Again, really making a note of the emotion management episode we did on how to conduct those conversations as well, that from episode 16, make sure you seek yeah. to understand, seeking to be understood. But yeah, that's my brain tool number three, Sammy. Yeah, super strong. And just as a little side note, if you can't find someone, you can always use your friend Google. You can you can search for how you're wrong, you know, evidence against this. That is really so, easy. That is so good. That is it's gold. It's really gold. easy, and it, it is a bit of a slap in the face sometimes. And I, I can tell you personally, when I've really bought into an idea or belief, and I've searched out, you know, I usually chuck in the phrase plus fraud or wrong or you know when is this not true and you'll find plenty of evidence that disconfirms your belief and it hurts <laughs> tell you what, it hurts okay google is not nice neither is reddit uh, oh, i love it mate and you've got a final brain tool to bring it all together i do i do well say you've got for example this self-limiting belief say you're at work and a challenging project comes along you think to yourself i can't do this it's too hard what if i stuff up Remember that one time I made a mistake and my boss chewed me out for it and you're panicking, your breath is short and you're sweating and you have this limiting belief takeover and hello stress. 
Ugh. Say that to you, right? Say you have this problem. And lots of people do. Lots of people yeah, have that imposter syndrome. We've, I mean, we've probably all been there at one time and another where this limiting belief has taken over in a certain situation, whether that be at work, at home, in social situations, playing a sport, whatever it is. What you need is the ability to change that belief. But to do that, you need belief switching. So my brain's number four is belief switching. And it's how do you counteract a limiting belief? And it's by switching in the moment for an uplifting belief over time and convincing your brain that this new belief is true. So it becomes the de facto belief or the de facto way you think in that situation. So rather than going, oh my God, I'm going to stuff up this project, you adopt this new belief by switching it out. And I'll talk about how in just a second. You adopt this new belief and go, yeah, that project's coming along and I'm going to kill it. Because remember, X, Y, and Z times what I did exactly that. So how do you do this? Well, there's three steps to belief switching. The first is you've got to recognize your limiting belief in the moment. Okay, I'm experiencing this limiting belief. I'm doubting myself. I'm thinking I can't do this. Number one. Number two is you you now actively choose, okay, what if I actually can do this? What if I can adopt this other belief? What if this is possible? So just to embrace that what if mindset. That's step number two to switch the belief. And the third way, third step is to make it real. Now go, all right, what about all those times when this new belief, this Mm -hmm. positive belief about me being able to do this was true? What are the past successes? Remember when I took on that work project two years ago in my other job that I thought I couldn't do and I did an amazing job. That's just like this. And suddenly you've made that belief more real, tangible, and your brain is now actively scanning for information just like that example you gave it to prove it's true. You're hacking your brain to switch out this belief. And so doing this over time leverages uh, what they call associative learning of constructs. You're doing it by activating that belief in a, in a moment to associate it with a behavior or a situation or environmental cue. And this helps you re- reinforce those new beliefs. So using you know the new belief setting method we talked about before with when you wake up and when you go to bed, plus this one in the moment gives you that whole gamut of changing your belief or swapping out an old one. So belief switching. I really like that. And I think the, the whole notion here is it's sometimes really hard to catch yourself in the moment, right? That's that oh, quote totally. by Jordan Peterson, which is like um, human beings are bad bosses, but even worse employees. Like we're not very good at doing this in the moment. So to your point on it, which I think is key, is if you can't do that, tell someone about the belief that you actually are trying to change. Like say, Ooh, hey, that's- like, say you and I right here, right now, hey, here's a belief. If I say this se- sentence, just remind me, hey, Kieran, you told me to remind you, what's a, something, how could you reframe that? And that constant mm-hmm. catching contingency it's almost as if you're trying to do a, a you know some gymnastics and you're going to fall you've always got that safety net and the safety net sam is you for you me do. which is really nice oh, i appreciate it. my heart strings you actually said what almost hit one of my favorite words which was it's cognitive reframing it's cognitive reappraisal which we talked about in emotion regulation but it's cognitive reframing in terms of beliefs which oh. there is so much research out there that it's not even funny it's crazy those are the four brain tools, though, hey, Sammy? I reckon uh, we should we should get this summary going, hey? Back to the top. Up we right. go. Brain tool number one is add to your belief inventory. The whole notion here is take stock of all the beliefs that you currently hold within certain topics that you actually do care about and actually note them down and understand the emotional response you have when you write it down. Don't evaluate it logically. Whatever your emotional response is, take stock because then, then you can move on and try and change those beliefs. So brain tool number one. Add to your belief inventory. Solid. And once you've got that inventory and you realize there's a new belief you want to adopt or a more positive belief, 
create a wake up slash bedtime belief ritual. Spend five minutes in the morning when you wake up, five minutes at the night, reflecting on that belief, repeating that pathway, repeating that activation of pathway in your brain, thinking about all the times it's true to start wiring that in and forming that high priority pathway, that path through the jungle, which will eventually become a super highway. That's brain tool number two, the wake up slash bedtime belief ritual. I love it. Moving into brain tool number three, which is red team your own beliefs. As Sam said, in terms of that whole notion of really trying to change your beliefs, don't try and do it alone. You need people to help catch you um, when you fall. To quote a great song. So the whole notion here is to really unpack with another person who has counter beliefs to your own, actually asking yourself the question internally, hey, how could I be wrong? But also asking the question, hey, where are you coming from? What's actually on your mind? What do you believe in? That becomes more well-rounded. It means you red team your own beliefs and you're more likely to be truthfully true, which is the whole aim of this exercise. Absolutely. And you actually touched on what we're going to talk about in our next episode when it comes to approaching someone with a different belief set and how you go about that uh, engagement. Uh, but last, lastly, brain tool number four, it's belief switching. When you're in the moment experiencing a limiting belief, if you can get someone else to call you out or you call yourself out, first recognizing that you're having experiencing that limiting belief, switching out the belief and asking yourself, what if it wasn't true? What if the inverse was true? And then finding evidence to prove that that inverse is also possible to make it real in your brain and solidify that belief, that switched out belief. Kieran, big one today. Robust. I love it. And, you know, we always want to really come and bring this together. 80-20, Pareto, what is your 80-20 for today, Sam? You become what you believe. It is your brain's functioning that determines your worldview and your experience of the world based on your belief. So if you change your beliefs, you change your world, you change your life. Oh, that's mate. I feel like you've been on this motivational speaker bandwagon. I'm really like, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm mate, honestly, been, mate, Tony, I'm honestly, Mr. Robbins, you do. I'm sorry. He's, he's actually, he does some good stuff. He does. Um, mine to add to yours is a quote by Ray Dalio. We love him. He's a, he's a great man. If you haven't read his book, Principles, highly recommend. But he has a quote there which he says, Understanding, accepting, and working with reality is both practical and beautiful. Be a hyper-realist. Dreams plus reality plus determination equals a successful life. Being in touch with reality is so, so important and making sure that your beliefs are, beliefs are congruous with that becomes really important to navigating in a world that can be very uncertain. And that's uh, my 80-20. Strong. Big Love episode. Excited for just, next week. I reckon, just to round it out. And as we said, next week, Sammy, we're going to go into obviously interconnected beliefs. So we're going to look at beliefs between other people as opposed to self-belief. But as we always do at the end of the episode, uh, look out for it, please, is we're going to have a how-to guide, an implementation guide in terms of how you can actually instill these beliefs in your life. It has practical steps, step-by-step to implement it, obviously covering everything that we've spoken about today. You can get it, which is great for free at braintools.substack.com. That's braintools.substack.com. It'll be in the description as well. So go and get your free brain guide and sign up for it. And Sammy, that rounds us out for the day. Very exciting stuff. Let's do it. Can't wait to talk next week. Can't wait to, to hear all of you. you. I can't hear you, but if I could, I would hear all of your excitement for next week's episode on uh, beliefs between people because we know that one's a juicy one. Sounds good. Bye for now. Bye for now. See you later.